church. It's great to see you here today. If you're new or visiting, I want to welcome you here to Disciples Church. My name is Joshua Kirstein. Privileged to be the preaching pastor here at Disciples, and uh, thankful for this time of year that we get to spend together. And beautiful uh, decor that our team works so well to put together, and uh, songs the band has prepared for us to worship, to celebrate the lowborn King. God the Son, eternal, almighty, creator and sustainer of all, to put on flesh to save a wretch like me, that we would be redeemed, that we would be forgiven, made new. Today we're in our third week of Advent in this year of our Lord, 2021. Advent is the church's annual celebration of the arrival of the Messiah. The Messiah is the promised Redeemer that all mankind is desperate for. He is the one whom God promised would come and deliver his people from death and sin. Christmas is the annual celebration of the Advent, the arrival of the Son of God who took on flesh to save his people from their sins. This year we're taking a unique look at Christ's advent in the fact that his arrival was not the cute and cuddly thing that we often make it out to be. Uh, No, instead, his arrival was into the middle of a very real spiritual war. Today, we turn to our third theme of advent, which is love. I've titled today's sermon, Wartime Love. No greater gift, church, has been given than the gift that God gave that first Christmas in the life, eventually the death, and mighty resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we are loved. Like no one has ever loved us. Because His love is put on us. We are to love others in the middle of the war that we find ourselves in. Jesus said in John 13, 34 through 35, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Pray with me. Lord, I, I thank you for this day that you have made, this, this opportunity we have to, to gather, to, to sing and celebrate, to pray together. Uh, we want to um, know you rightly according to your word. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to turn from, from sin and selfishness and all the ways that it plagues us and tears down and breaks apart. Lord, we want to be at work in the midst of of these days that you ordain for us, not just for temporary purposes and um, the filling of our homes and our lives with more temporary stuff, but but with an opportunity to have an eternal impact on many, that that we would would be aware of of the fullness of your love for us, or shown in Christ and what that means for us, but but not just be aware and not just be comfortably settled in our own salvation, but, 
but to have a vigor, to have a passion, to have a commitment to be to be active in the midst of this war that we find ourselves in, to be to be present, to be trained, um, to be sacrificial in our love for others. So do your work in us, Lord, as we look to your word this morning. Um, show us your mighty truths. Convict us and mobilize us and motivate us unto what glorifies you. We pray confidently because of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me once again to the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. And it is here that we see the separation that mankind underwent from each other and from God because of our sin. In our sin, we are at war with each other and with God. In verse 7 and 8 of chapter 3, we see the immediate fallout of mankind after choosing to disobey God and to sinfully eat of the forbidden fruit. And immediately after they sinned, verse 7, Genesis 3 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. When it says their eyes were opened, it doesn't mean they had previously walked around with them closed. It means their sinful flesh went to work. It means their fleshly self-evaluation and sinful evaluation of others began. It means unrighteous judgment filled their head. And so what was united, what was harmonious, what was living in sweet unity was now tainted and bruised and broken. It means relational stress. And separation happened. It is here that we see how mankind, when ruled by our flesh, is at war with each other. It doesn't take long for selfishness, pride, anger, jealousy to go to work, even among this first family. As we see just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 8, one of the two first sons murdered his brother. Can we just stop and recognize the dark, stained, deplorable start our race, the human race, had? If this is not a sign of the deep and dark war we're in because of sin, I don't know what else there is. Mankind... Mankind is now clearly at war with each other. But also notice that man's sinful flesh meant a sinful fear of God. Not a righteous fear, a sinful fear. And separation from God. It says they, they tried to hide from Him. Instead of God being their greatest treasure and joy, they are separated from Him because of their sin. They distanced themselves 
for fear of his righteous judgment for their disobedience. But that's not all. A few verses later, it says that God removed them from the garden and barred them from coming near the tree of life. This is the sobering reality of the holy God rightly separating himself from sinful mankind. Church, see with me that we are at war with each other and at war with God because of our sin. When in our sin, what a disastrous fallout. See with me how our sin ruins everything. It's a pretty boggling thing that that sinful man is so arrogant to even think that God is to be blamed when things in our life don't go well. No, mankind is wicked and self-seeking. Therefore, we are at war all the time. And that war has great consequences. Consequences that we see with each other, with others, among society, but even in our own minds. Chapter 2, two chapters later in Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. As mankind's story continues, God brings the law to show man God's holy standard. And by unveiling that or, or making that clear, then also to show our guilt and sin by not meeting that standard. But also our need for a Savior. For no man can obey God's law and commands in our sin. Why? Because we only serve ourselves. Because we worship the creation instead of the creator. What we deserve for this is God's eternal judgment due our sin. But this is where the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks in. It comes into view and it changes everything. Instead of righteous wrath, What many receive is a gift of unfathomable love. The gift of God's amazing grace. To forgive our sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place. God's only begotten Son. In this, see God's wartime love for us, His people. Now turn with me to the New Testament. You're in the beginning of the Old Testament. Go far forward in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. And consider with me verse 3 and 4. Put it on the screen as well. Paul says this, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. A few critical things we see here, church. God did what the law could not do, what we weakened by the flesh could not do. 
In his great love and mercy, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Church, this is a reference to what we call the incarnation. It, it is what we celebrate at Christmas. The eternal and worthy and righteous one, God the Son, took on flesh. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He, speaking of God the Father, made Him, speaking of God the Son, who knew no sin, holy and pure, He made Him to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The incarnation is what we celebrate and sing about every Christmas. The birth of Jesus. God the Son taking on flesh. Hark the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate. Deity. Who is the incarnate deity? Jesus Christ. What does incarnation mean? It's a big Latin word. The root word carne means meat. God the Son became flesh. He took on meat. He, John 1.14, the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation that is the testimony of Jesus, who is God the Son, who came into human history in flesh as a newborn baby. Church, you must see the love of God for us, His people, to send His Son to do this. This is truly the love of Christmas on its highest display. The love of God for us is shown in the incarnation of Christ. Listen to how Paul speaks to this in Romans 5.8. The foster family just presented before us the lighting of our Advent candle. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us. Even while we were still his sinful enemies, doing what he commanded us not to do, not honoring him, not living lives that, are, that point to his glory, no, instead pursuing our own glory. He loved us while we were still his enemies. So see with me, church, his wartime love and the uniqueness of it. See the revolutionary nature of that love at work. Right? In the middle of war, enemies don't love each other. Jesus took on our sin so he could put his righteousness on us. This is mankind's only hope to be redeemed, to be forgiven to be shown the true and lasting love of God. 
John says it this way in chapter 4 of his first letter series that we're actually in the middle of here at Disciples Church. If you're just joining us here during our Advent season, we're taking a break from that series. We're in chapter 3 of 1 John. It's been a joy. You can find those earlier sermons throughout the year on the podcast. We'll be resuming that at first of the year. and pray that you would continue to walk with us. In chapter 4, which we'll get to down the road this, the next year, Lord willing, 1 John 4, 9-10 through 10, says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Do you see that? Made, his love made manifest among us. How? How is that love shown? Christmas. The incarnation of Christ. To come and do what we couldn't do. To save us. So that God could adopt us as his own. Verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation of sins. This is the life-changing good news of the gospel. The gospel makes it clear that mankind deserves death, God's righteous judgment, His righteous wrath, because of our sin. He is a a righteous judge because He rightly condemns sin on the guilty. But God sent His only Son to take on the penalty that many of us deserved. He loved us. He paid for our ransom so that we now, in Christ, can be no longer separated from Him, but loved by Him now and forever. Amen? This is why it's called the good news. Because no greater gift has ever been given. No greater shift in human history has ever happened. No greater transformation has ever taken place in the lives of men than when God chooses in His grace to incarnate His Son to come and save many guilty people from death to life through the perfect life, sacrificial death, and mighty resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Church, we need to see God's wartime love for us fully and rightly Because when we do, it changes everything. Can I just ask, what are you struggling with lately? Christian, where where are you filled with worry and and stress, sadness, or, or fear? Christian, you are loved by God in the most profound and permanent way. We need to see this rightly because when we do, we will replace that sadness and fear and worry with rejoicing. And gratitude and action to serve our Lord all the days that He would give us. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. See the amazing and costly love that God puts on your life, Christian, to save you. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. This is the epitome of wartime love. And it's God's gift to all who repent of their sin and trust their lives to Jesus. See, I, I'm not really interested to know how long you've been attending church or how much of the Bible you've read or can speak clearly about. Has God given you eyes to see the depth of your sin so that you confess it before Him? And the beauty of the love of God and the grace of the Savior that you want nothing else but Jesus. And so you die to yourself and you set aside everything else that Jesus would be first in your life. That you would trust your life to him, to serve him, to honor him the rest of your days and forever. If you don't know salvation, repent of your sin and trust your life to Jesus and be saved. And everything begins to change. Share that with us. We want to we hear that from you. We want to walk with you in those good truths. We want to... We want to grow in faith with you and serve the Lord together. For those who might be thinking, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm into. And you're right, I don't. But God does. He sees it more clearly and more honestly than you're even willing to admit yourself. And yet his love is so deep and so rich that for those he would break wide open in saving faith, you'll fall on your face before him and trust your life to him forever. Because it's not a salvation that's based on your performance or your record, your record condemns you every time and all the time. It's based on Jesus' record, graciously given to you as he takes on the wrath you deserve on him. That's the beauty of the gospel. The radical love of our Lord to save so many undeserving sinners. Church, I want us to see this morning how God's love at work in us is a mighty wartime weapon. Not a weapon to cause harm to others, but to shine the light of the gospel and to break down the enmity we once lived in and through. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2.14, He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down 
in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See with me how this goes to work in our lives in a number of potent ways. First, it means a wartime love that we have for one another. Jesus, Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35, I read it at the opening, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here, Jesus shows us that the same love that he's shown us, we are to show to each other. We can do that because we have his love at work in and through us. He emphasizes that our love is to have an amazing eternal purpose. Church, our our love for one another is our testimony He says, this is how people will know that we are his disciples. Our love for one another. And we take this seriously here at Disciples Church, and we need to take it all the more seriously. I'm constantly pressing on you. Where is there beef? Where is there ill will? Where is there a grudge? Where is there undealt with business? Church, our testimony is broken when we are content to be in disunity with each other. We must make every effort to forgive, to resolve, to overlook an offense, to sit down and talk it out with the deepest longing, not to be right, not to be vindicated, but with the deepest longing for unity that testifies what God's love in us has meant. What this means is you can attend church every week for 52 weeks a year. You can attend church for 30 years. You can give 30% of your income to the work of the ministry and the making of disciples. You can volunteer 20 hours a week. But the Bible says that we're not identified with God first and foremost by any of these things. But first and foremost by our love for one another. Church, what this shows us is that when we do not truly practice love for one another, it's like turning the light off in the dark. We, we might be busy walking around doing the things of God in every other way. But without love for one another, they will not know that we are His. And the entire point of our existence is to put him on display. To magnify his name, to testify of what he's done. We do this by loving one another. There's so many commands in Holy Scripture for us to love one another. Let's consider another. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul is our instructor here, and he, he loves us well to, to say, let love be genuine. Uh, you can translate this from the Greek to say, let love be without hypocrisy. 
Hypocrisy is to pretend to be a certain way that is not true of who you are at your core. Genuine love doesn't try to say or be something that it is not. Genuine love is authentic. It's genuine. It's honest. Paul says that we are to outdo one another in showing honor. In his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Church, you and I will not do this on our own. Our flesh is too self-interested. It's too self-protecting. Our ego is too big. Right? We're really good about thinking about me. No, no. God's love at work in us and through us means a radical shift in how we live in love. We will literally look for ways to be a greater blessing to others, to show more respect to others than what they show to us. We will ditch the whole fleshly deal of what's even or fair. In this, we don't keep score. Because we don't need to. Make sure you get this this morning. Because I have all the love I need, I could ever dream of, in what God has shown me to save me. I don't need to add to my cup some kind of scorekeeping for how everyone else is loving me. As I'm overflowing full in the love of God. So that, that frees me to ditch the scorekeeping and to outdo others in showing honor. To count them as more important than me. To love them sacrificially. In Christ church, may we outdo one another in showing honor. In humility, count others more significant than ourselves. In, in Christ, let our love be genuine. That we love each other with brotherly affection. We all are still in this fight. Okay? Regularly, I'm, I'm trying to identify this in my own life and, and pray. and Where there's a temptation to say, yeah, but this is how you've treated me. So, so that this, therefore, this is what you're going to get back. But instead, who Christ is and how he's at work in me allows me to put that whole game away and to just outdo you in showing honor and, and to find joy in that. I get to love you. I want to love you. I want to love you when, you when you are really good at dishonoring me, disrespecting, when you are guilty of coming at me and my loved ones. See, this reveals another layer that God's Word is clear to tell us. God's love for us means a wartime love for our enemies. 
Our love is not just supposed to be for each other in the church, but also for our enemies. Just as God loved us when we were his enemy. Right? Who are we? Who am I to say, praise God that he loved me when I was nothing for him. I was only against him. And he showed his love to me. But heck no, am I going to do that for someone else? Who am I? Our mission in the war we're in is to shine bright the love and light of Christ. Jesus helps us to see this layer of wartime love, love for others. In places like Luke 6, 32-35, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Anyone can love that which is lovely, but it's extremely difficult to love those who are unlovely, right? What we have to understand is that we won't do this on our own. Loving our enemies is only genuine if it's out of the overflow of Christ's love and work in our lives, flowing through us to them. Love for others, especially our enemies, is a supernatural way of life. Hear me clearly. Loving your enemies is not natural. Right? So don't think that you can do it alone. It is supernatural. It is why God's Word is clear to say that we only love because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19 The other-centered love of God is truly at work in our lives. We, we will consistently then find a way to love others that God puts in our path. But only first and foremost if we're abiding fully in Christ. Church, that's so key. We only have the ability to love, the interest to love selfishly, sacrificially our enemies if we rightly and fully understand the love of Jesus for us. We only have the desire to love others sacrificially because of God's grace-filled desire to sacrificially Show His love for us through His Son. Church, you, you cannot leave here thinking today that you'll fulfill Jesus' command to love others by your own power. Even when you might muster it up for a moment or a season, <clears throat> it either won't last or it will be grossly inauthentic. And people will see right through that when you're faking it. You must be consistently drawing on Christ, abiding in Christ. That's why these last few weeks on midweek, we're working through spiritual disciplines, and specifically the spiritual discipline of Bible study. 
If you missed that, you need to get those links from us. You need to dig into that. We have to be regularly meditating on the Word of God, delighting in the Word of God, to be reoriented to these truths, to be reminded of His promises and His power. Without that, we just turn back to our nature. We, we try to go forward in ourselves, and we, just, we don't do it ourselves. When we're abiding in the vine, Jesus Christ, Jesus changes us from the inside out and then produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Things we don't do on our own. Not in a lasting way, not in an authentic way. When you think of that through the Spirit, that's the wartime love that this world needs. This is the love that changes everything. We love because He first loved us. See with me this morning that His sacrificial love at work in us will motivate us to love those that we would have never loved in our flesh. Jesus displays this through a parable he tells, a very famous parable. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, 30-37. The quick context for this is the Jews and the Samaritans were real, legit enemies. They did not like each other. In that day, doing everything to avoid each other. It, it was like a level of racism to its highest work. Disgusting. In Jesus' example, this Jewish man's injured and left by the roadside, and there's two men who come by, men who by what they do in society should have known better, they should have been sacrificial to slow and to love the injured man. They don't really have good reason to have not done that. They, they were his own people. But they didn't. They, they had excuses. They stayed busy with other things. And then comes a Samaritan. And he stops and shows great care and love and sacrifice for his enemy, social enemy. Only God's love in and through us will cause us to go that far, to love that sacrificially, especially our enemies. Only by the grace of God is my heart changed to look at others differently. Only because of God's love for me, His long-standing enemy, do I love my enemies well. Only in Christ do I not elevate myself to a position where I think I'm better or more deserving than they are. Are we guilty of that when we are confronted with 
reports of co-workers or neighbors or news reports of people in society that, in our view, in your personal view, are disgusting and foul and wretched and wicked and selfish and just doing atrocious things. When we think of them, do, do, do we think of them in this way where we push them off in our minds and our hearts? We elevate ourselves over them. Or does Christ loving us cause us to love them, to pray for them, to look for an opportunity to sacrificially serve them, minister to them? And that it's our honor to do so. To be clear, I'm not saying that maybe the things that they're doing are not really wicked, evil, atrocious. See, there is an unfortunate, sad, and disgusting part of quote-unquote Christianity that will, will take this to a point where in the name of love, we put away truth. No, we are still to stand in truth. We don't love them to not love them in truth, to somehow say that what they're doing that's wicked or, or what they're bought into and their fleshly ideologies are, are somehow okay. And, and by saying that, I'm loving them. No, that's a lie. That, that, if you chase that out for most people, there's a self-serving thing happening in you that you don't want something broken, and so you're compromising in love. But what you're really doing is serving yourself. Stand on truth, but in the midst of truth, truth that our enemies many times will have a hard time hearing, we need to shock them with love. We need to go further than anyone else will. Hebrews 13, 1-3, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as, those, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, Realize with me this morning, this kind of love takes initiative, church. We don't wait for someone to come knocking on the door and demanding us to cook them dinner and to let us let them sleep in our beds. I'd maybe argue you shouldn't let that guy into your house, like demanding to, right? <laughs> but we need to take real initiative to love others sacrificially. We, we can't make our life in Christ and our involvement in the local church all about us. 
So as your neighbor is driving you nuts with all of his nonsense and his loud dogs and his messy yard and his whatever, 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 that in some of this self-righteous kind of way, I'm not all put out. I, I, I'm praying all the more for him. I'm looking for a way to love him, serve him. I'm overwhelmed at how many in the modern church, how many quote-unquote Christians are guilty of perpetually saying, if the church is not like this, if they don't give me this, if they don't offer this, if they don't look like this or sound like that, then I'll just go find another church. But hear me today, the church is not here to cater to you in the midst of the war. The church is here to care for your soul in truth and love and equip you to faithfully fight in that war. We're, we're here to partner with you, to reorient you to Jesus, help you grow in Christ-likeness through discipleship so that you can do the work of the ministry and spread the love and light of the gospel for all those that God puts in your path. For all those that he puts around you right here in Bakersfield, in Oildale, in Shafter, Wasco and Delano and Cottonwood and Taft and River Lakes and Seven Oaks and Arvin and Kernville. This is our mission field, Disciples Church. This is where God has called you and I to fight in this battle. The unique thing is that we fight with the radical, revolutionary love of God to point people who are dead in sin to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, see that our love for the marginalized, our love for those who act as our enemies, those who are lost in sin, our love for them is a wartime testimony of the gospel. And so I'd ask, I ask you again, I've asked you each step of the way in this series, are you prepared to do that? Are you prepared to love others rightly? This goes back to what I was saying last week about wartime preparation. We prepare not only to protect and provide for our families and our disciples' church family, we prepare so that we're in a position to share with anyone God puts in our path that is in need. See, some of us are guilty of only going so far in our thinking about last week. We went home, began to have discussions about preparation to protect and provide for, for mine, my family, to be a help to our church family. But we can't stop there or we miss the whole point of being here. We're to be prepared so we can be a blessing to the lost society. That is why God has us here in the first place. Paul says in Ephesians 4.28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? so that he may have something to share with anyone in need.
you and I in our sin are that thief who God has redeemed, given us a new purpose for this life, a new, a new reason to wake up and live our days. And it's not all about me or us. It's so that we have something to share with those in need. And so I ask again, are you guilty of spending all your money, selfishly finding ways to spend all that God gives you? Or is there a holy contentment growing in you where we're content to have this or to do that or to not do this or that? to eat out less, to travel less, to drive an older car, whatever those things might be, there's a contentment at work so that I'm in a position to love others well. And I'm really interested in that, being a real part of the stewardship of my budget, of my time, of my life. A life transformation that God does in us to repurpose our goals, the reason why we work hard, why we prepare. And it's not the reason your secular friends are doing that stuff. It's not so we can just have more and do more and spend more. It's so that we can give more, share more, sacrificially love others more. The problem is when ruled by our flesh and sin instead of God's love, we endure our jobs only enough to run home to our lazy boys and jump into our remote-controlled lifestyle. And this works against a wartime mentality that we must have for these few days that God gives us in the here and now. Instead, we need a priority that says, God gave me today so that I can fight, so that I can study, so I can grow and be discipled, so that I can make disciples, so I can serve others, so I can give my life away, my time, my money, my efforts are not for me, they're for Him. They're for His glory. The Bible speaks of the Christian life looking very different than what we would call in our society normal. Instead of Christ saving us to a life of comfort, the Bible says that Christ saved us to a life of crucifixion. That we would daily take up our crosses and follow Him. Sadly, Jesus' form of Christianity is not taught all too often in many modern day churches. But something instead that's way more comfortable. Jesus taught of a wartime sacrificial love to go to work in us. When we're saved by Christ from our sin, we joyfully die to self to live to Christ. In our salvation, we make a major transition from living for the good of ourselves to living for the good of others. We take on a wartime lifestyle where our job is to fight for the king, to be a blessing to others. It's not any longer to put all our stake in the temporary and to build our own kingdom and, and to, to maximize this life, to eat, drink, and be merry. And we just live for the now. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson once said it this way, 
We are not owners of anything, but stewards of everything. A steward is a manager of someone else's stuff. Hear me clearly, Christian. You belong to Jesus. He owns it all. That's the point. That's the beauty of the gospel at work, is you're no longer enslaved to your sin unto the wrath that you deserve, somehow serving and seeking your own glory. You're freed from that to die to self and live to Christ. Why do we work hard in these days the Lord gives us under the sun so we can give away more, bless others more, so we can loosen our grip on houses and cars and vacations and hobbies and all the other things of the temporary so that we can major on the opportunities of the eternal kingdom of God? We do this because our prize is not the temporary or the status of this world. Our prize is to reign with Christ in holy heaven forever and ever. This is why we have to moderate and, and measure how much time we're spending sitting with the sinners and the scoffers and the noise of the world. How much time you're on social media. Why? Because the enemy uses those mediums to constantly remind you and sell you on the secular agenda. All the stuff you should own. All the, all the lifestyle stuff that you're chasing and, and, and the agenda of a, of a secular world. That's why we need so much more of the Lord's word instead to remind us of his promises and the work he's doing in and through us so that we pursue his agenda. Our prize is not in the temporary things or the status of this world. Our prize is to reign with Christ in holy heaven forever and ever. No one modeled this better than Jesus himself. God the Son in flesh, Hebrews 13, 12 through 14. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the gate and bear the, the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Here we are to join Christ who suffered and sacrificed. We who belong to Christ are to take up our cross and follow him outside the camp, to the hurting, to the marginalized, to focus on the making of disciples, the testifying to the lost. We do this with joy. Look at what he says next, Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good or to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Oh, Christian, how we want to please and honor God. In Christ, we don't want to please our bellies any longer or fill our bank accounts with money or be pampered. No, we, we want to please and honor God. That's the good transformation he's doing in us. We want to do good. We want to share what we have. We want to see many come to Christ and many disciples made. This is the purpose for these short days we're in. Consider with me again Paul's instruction to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. For the rich in this present age, I would argue that's just about all of us in the room, charge them not to be haughty. That doesn't mean good looking, that means prideful. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy 
They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If we put our hope and joy and our identity in God and not in the stuff and status of the temporary, we will be ready to steward our lives in every way for His glory and for others' good. We'll be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. Christian, we need to be prepared so that we do this well. Acts 4 gives us a beautiful picture of the early church doing this well. 32-35, the full number of those who believed were one in heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. And with great power of the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as there were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of all that was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So can I just ask you, that was the early church. We are the church by God's sovereign providence of today how are you doing with this personally how is your wartime love at work are you known for your contentment with what God has given you instead of your constant lean for more are you known for being generous looking to bless others with your time with your life, your talents, maybe your possessions, your resources? Are you faithful to give your resources to the local church for the mission God has given us corporately to do, making disciples to the ends of the earth? It's a good time of year to do business with this. To, with just weeks to go before the new year, a new beginning, How is your time management, the commitments you've made, how are you stewarding your days? We're we're so guilty of being creatures of habit. We spoke on that at midweek just a a number of weeks ago. And and see with me, Christian and beloved, how how quickly we just get back to our old habits, right? So let's let's revisit it again, maybe with a little more accountability, maybe with a little more vigor and commitment to get serious about our time management, our commitments, our priorities, our habits, our, our time with the Lord and the Word, our commitment to being discipled and making disciples, our investment into the Great Commission, the local church. This is the time to invest into this wartime ministry. It starts right here with your church. You're giving. Did God bless you this year? Did, did you honor him with the first fruits of that? Maybe even more. So the work of the, of the commission is at work. Are you honoring him in, in a life that's humble to be discipled? Being made ready to be used? Young or old? Discipling and serving others with our days. Church, this is how soldiers, the soldiers of Jesus, are prepared to fight. 
to testify, to love our enemies well. Church, let's remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, 35. My prayer for our church is that wartime love, generous, other-centered love, would be at work in us who belong to Christ. And I closed this morning's sermon with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. Will you stand with me as I read it? Jesus said to the believing, to the church, to the redeemed, his people, his bride, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, you are worthy to be praised, to be honored, worshipped, adored. You've bought us with a high price. And wow, it is amazing to be yours. Uh, we are blessed. We are full of praise and, and, and celebration and gratitude. And, and I just pray that there's an authenticity of that that really moves beyond words and, or song lyrics or Sunday morning church attendance. But, but it moves into lives transformed to be a light of the gospel. To have a wartime love for others the bride, and all our enemies, those who are against you. That we would serve that holy purpose that you've ordained for our days to be a testimony, to be a conduit by which this gospel is going to work and changing lives forever. There's nothing little about this. What you did to show this love and the gift of Christmas and the birth of Jesus over 2,000 years ago, it, it changes everything. Lord, let us have clear view of it and good response and stewardship to it. Be glorified as we are doers and not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray.